The scripture reading this morning will come from Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. If you're reading from the Pew Bible in front of you, it is page 876. Luke 17, 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. It's no secret that this week is Thanksgiving and that many of you are in town because you've returned to be with family. Maybe you're coming back from school for this week and we're thankful to see you. And so it's no secret that that's what's happening this week. It's also no secret that it's good to be thankful. Many of even the world would say it's good to be thankful. Even those that are not Christians would recognize that there's merit to having gratitude of some sort. But what I would suggest is that the world does not recognize that it's not just simply good to be thankful, but rather that they miss the point that it is sinful to be unthankful, to have ingratitude. As you think about those things, it's not the fact that that unthankfulness or ingratitude is listed on what's sometimes called the the list of seven deadly sins that God specifically hates. You you remember the list, right? God God hates these things, these six, and those seven are an abomination to him. He says a proud look, a lying tongue, those hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift to run to do evil, a false witness that spreads lies, and, and one who sows discord among the brethren. Those are the seven things that the Lord hates that are especially abominable to him. But when you think about ingratitude, it's no less heinous. In fact, it's found on a list alongside several particularly wicked things. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 5, we read, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, Now consider also the list as it continues on, the things that this idea of unthankfulness is associated with. Unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of good, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. It is no secret when you truly read the Bible that ingratitude is something that we ought to abstain from, that it is sinful for us to practice, it is sinful for us to engage in, and that you and I need to recognize that it will cost us our soul if we engage in it. And so let's examine the problem of ingratitude briefly this morning. We're first going to examine the problem of ingratitude, and later on in our lesson, we're going to try to address the problem of ingratitude. Number one, consider that when we examine the problem of ingratitude, pride is often at the root of it. 
Pride is often at the root of it. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter one, beginning in verse 20. I want you to see in your Bibles this idea of ingratitude, of unthankfulness, and where oftentimes it can be found and among who it can be found. In Romans chapter one and verse number 20, Paul is writing about individuals that seem as though they are unwilling to believe in God. Though they know that God really exists, they, they do not recognize him as God. Read with me, Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God... They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Notice verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. What I want us to take away from this passage is that they're at the very root of the problem that we're dealing with this, the people that were in dealing with this ingratitude was the fact that they were unwilling to be thankful and recognize where all their blessings had come from, from the Lord God. Instead of worshiping him as the creator, they looked at the things around them and the world around them and they said, that's what I'm going to worship. That's what I'm going to appreciate. Do we not see these things in the world today around us? People who are unthankful, who practice ingratitude, they do not want to recognize that what they have in their life, that everything, every blessing in this life comes from God. They are unthankful. And so oftentimes as you think about pride being at the root of it, so many people are unwilling. They don't want there to be a Lord over their life. They don't want God to be that which reigns, who reigns over their life. And so they're prideful and they think that they can do this life in and of themselves, that they don't need to recognize him, that they don't need to appreciate him. And so pride prevents them from being grateful to whom their blessings truly come from. You see that even in our relationships with each other, don't you? Sometimes we're prideful in the sense that we don't want to say thank, thank you to someone who has done something for us because maybe we think that everything we've gotten in this life is because we've earned it. We, we don't recognize all that our parents have done for us. We don't recognize all that other people have helped us to do, along, to do things along the way. And, and so in and of ourselves, we think everything that I've done in this life, I've earned. And so therefore, I don't really need to say thank you to anybody. And so, so often in gratitude, is found in those that are prideful. Pride is at the root of this problem. Could this describe you this morning? But not only that, as we examine the problem of ingratitude, consider that poor priorities are directly connected to it. Poor priorities are directly connected to it. Cody just read our scripture reading a moment ago from Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19, in which the 10 lepers were cleansed, but only one returned to th say thank you to Jesus. So oftentimes, the fact that there are things that we will not do reveal where our heart is. That is, when we are unwilling to say thank you, when we're unwilling to express gratitude, it reveals where our priorities actually are. Where our priorities actually are. What we will take time to do will be revealed, what, is, is, what will reveal what is really important to us. If, if we don't take time to say thank you to someone, do we really appreciate what they've done for us? If we don't show gratitude to someone for, for all that they have done on our behalf, are we really appreciative, appreciative of what they have done? 
And so as you think about the poor priorities being directly connected to the fact that we are ungrateful, that we have an exhibit in gratitude. So pride is often at the root of it. Poor priorities are directly connected to it. You think about, are you someone who is just, it's like pulling teeth to get them to be grateful, to say thank you. Uh, think about this with our kids as we, as we raise them, right? It's like, tell your mother that you are thankful for cooking you your food. And, and it's just like you're, you're prodding them along. And we, it's easy for us to see ingratitude in children so often, isn't it? But is it really the case that, that you and I as adults have outgrown this problem? Absolutely not. Every one of us struggles with this, I would venture to say. That at least in some regard, we struggle with and our priorities reveal that we are ungrateful about some things. If, if we're really as grateful to our God as we should be, will we not be here to worship him at every opportunity that we have to say thank you as we'll talk about more here in just a minute? Will we not pillow our head at night, but before doing so, say thank you to God for what he's done for us? Because as we said, what really matters to us and what's really important to us, we will take time to do. And if we don't say thank you to God, is it really important to us to really show him that we're appreciative of what he's done for us? So pride is often at the root of it. Poor priorities are directly connected to it. And poisonous speech and pickiness often reveal a spirit of ingratitude. Poor priorities are directly connected to it, and poisonous speech and pickiness often reveal that spirit of ingratitude. Imagine just for a second that you're lost on a deserted island. Maybe your, your plane wrecked, and, and you, you got lost on this deserted island, and then someone shows up to rescue you in this, in this helicopter. And what if, imagine as they come down, they're, they're hanging down from the rope, and they're picking you up out of, out of that deserted island, and they're taking you off. They, they lift you up into the helicopter, and you look at them, and you say, why didn't you bring my, my favorite meal? Why, why didn't you bring me a steak dinner with some mashed potatoes? And why didn't you provide all those extra? Surely you wouldn't say that, would you? Is it any different as you think about Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 5, in which you find the children of Israel are grumbling and complaining, saying, did you really bring us out here to die, Lord God, by way of Moses? They say, "There's look around, there's no food, there's no water. In fact, they say, our soul loathes this worthless bread. That's what they said about the manna that God provided for them. I'm not suggesting that, that maybe that was the best thing that they had ever eaten, but God had delivered them out of bondage and was providing for them all that they really need. They were still alive, weren't they? They were headed to this promised land in which they would eventually get to, despite the fact that they would have to take a detour for 40 years. But yet God provided for them, and here they are with poisonous speech, saying evil things about what God provided and being picky about it. How often is it of you that maybe you are critical? Maybe you are someone who speaks ill of others and maybe what they have done or what they have chosen to do, maybe, maybe it's within the church, maybe what the elders have done or maybe with the decisions that some deacons have made about the grounds or, or about whatever area of work that they're working on. And there's, there's this criticism that comes forth from your mouth and yet you haven't stopped to be thankful for what all they are truly actually doing behind the scenes. Maybe you're picky about a choice, or maybe you're picky about what food you're going to eat, and, and, and you don't think about all the people in the world that don't have food so readily at their disposal as we do. 
And so poisonous speech and pickiness often reveal it. But finally, problems with comparison often stem from it. Problems with comparison often stem from this problem of ingratitude. In 1 Samuel chapter number 18, verses 1 through 13, we have an account that follows after, as obviously, chapter 17, in which we have David killing Goliath with the sling. And as you recall, David ends up going to Saul, and Saul sets him up over, uh, over being a, a warrior and over a certain amount of men as they go into battle. And as they come back, people start to celebrate David because, as they said, Saul has slain his thousands, but David, his ten thousands. Saul's killed his thousands, but man, David, he's killed way more people. And you can kind of start to see in Saul's mind that he's starting to struggle with this problem of comparison, not the least of which because of what people were saying, but in his mind, he's also thinking this personally. Man, David's getting a lot more glory than I ever was. And instead of being grateful for the fact that the the Lord had placed him in the position that he was in and being thankful for the fact that in this case, that David was gaining victory over the enemies of God, instead, he was ungrateful. He was bitter. He was having having to deal with this problem of comparison between him and David. So often it is the case, as we think about what you and I sometimes deal with, The problems with comparison often are rooted in this desire to look at what other people may have that I do not have. In the case of Saul, he dealt with the problem of the fact that people were were praising David instead of him. For us, sometimes it it may boil down to three different areas. It, It may be the problems of us comparing it to what other people may have that we don't have, the possessions. Or it may boil down to the fact that certain other people might live a certain lifestyle. Maybe they have it all together and and it seems unfair that they've got all that that they could ever want and I don't have everything that I could ever want, not just in possessions, but in in, in lifestyle and, and the things that I get to go do. So it could be the possessions, it could be the lifestyle, or it could be like Saul. It could be that we deal with the problem of, of, of desire for acclaim and prestige. That, that other people are getting praise and, and are being uh, affirmed for what they are doing, and yet nobody's noticing the work that I'm doing. And so we start to compare about what other people have, what other people get to do, what other people are affirmed in, the praise that they receive. And, and it's not inherently wrong to compare. You think about 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 1, in which Paul calls us to imitate him as he imitates Christ. And so there has to be some measure of comparison that happens to say, I'm going to compare what he's doing to Christ and live that way. The problem, though, lies in the fact that sometimes we begin to compare, and in that comparison is where we find our sense of joy and contentment and the things that we lack, things that we wish we had. If we, wish, if we would just have those things, we, we would be content, we would be happy, we, we would have sense of self-worth and value. And so as you think about the problem of, of, com- of comparison with regard to possessions, when people are struggling with looking what other people have that I don't have, all the while, we are completely ignoring the fact that at least among this crowd, I would venture to say that all of us are blessed with so much more than what many other people in the world are blessed with. Maybe you look at someone else's vehicle and what they drive and you say, man, I wish I had that model vehicle instead of what I have to drive. And every day as I look out my office, There are grown adults throughout the week that are walking by on their two feet 
from their homes, their places of residences to their, their places of occupation where they work. And if they're not walking on their two feet, they're riding their bicycle. That's the community we live in. We think we're in a pretty affluent community, and we are, but there are people right here in this community that don't have vehicles, and sometimes we look around and we say, I wish I had that, and there's people right here, not just over on the other side of the world, but people right here that don't have the things that you and I are blessed with. What about the lifestyles that we get to live? I said, I wish I get to do those things, and it's unfair that someone else gets to do all that, and yet... Sometimes out of one side of our mouth, we might pray this prayer, God, thank you that we're able to live in a country where we can worship freely without fear of persecution. And then out the other side of our mouth, we pray something along the lines of, man, I can't believe that they get to have that but, or get to do that, but I don't get to do that. And, and, and so we completely ignore the fact that we have such a great blessing to be able to be here that so many people in the world Get to do, don't get to do the things that you and I are get to doing right this very moment, right this morning. Or maybe it's the acclaim. Maybe it's the, the praise that you don't receive that you wish you would receive, but you think about it. If you're a Christian, the only praise, the only, the only thing that really matters that you receive is the fact that God sees the work that you're doing, the fact that your name is written in the book of life. And so as you think about the problem of ingratitude, the pride that's often at the root of it, the fact that so many times poor priorities are directly connected to it and poisonous speech come out of it, and the fact that we deal with problems with comparison, we ought to notice that it is an insidious thing, that ingratitude is something that we ought to root out of our lives at every opportunity that we have. And so we would maybe pray the prayer of the psalmist and say, oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men, let them, notice, sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. We just sang a song at the very beginning of our worship about the sacrifice of praise. And so often we hear that phrase, sacrifice, that word sacrifice, and maybe we see the sacrifices of thanksgiving, and the first thing that comes to mind with regard to sacrifice is maybe like of the Levitical priesthood and the the sacrifices that needed to be offered, and and the various types of sacrifices, five of those, the burnt uh, offering, the the meal offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, the peace offering, and the one that is that peace offering sometimes only thing that ever comes to our mind with regard to sacrifice is just maybe the killing of an animal to be able to atone for our sins. And while that is most commonly found in the Old Testament, when you think about the peace offering, what we find in Leviticus chapter 7, verses 11 through 13, is that there was also a special accommodation made for sacrifices that could be offered as a sacrifice of thanksgiving, as we just read in the previous psalm. A sacrifice of thanksgiving... Now, again, we don't offer sacrifices in the same way that they were offered in the Old Testament. But as you see here, that this is the law of sacrifice of peace offerings, which he shall offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the sacrifice of thanksgiving, unleavened cakes mixed with all with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, or cakes of blended flour mixed with oil. Besides the cakes, as his offering, he shall offer unleavened, or offer leavened bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offering. And so sometimes 
This peace offering could be offered as a means of saying thank you to God. And so some examples, Hannah, when she was blessed with child after dealing with infertility for so long, it seems as though she offers some sort of sacrifice of thanksgiving in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. Or you think about Manasseh, an evil king of Judah who was taken away into Assyrian captivity, but then was later let come back to uh, be in Jerusalem. In Second Chronicles 33, verse number 10, we find in those following verses that he offers some sort of sacrifice of thanksgiving when he's blessed with forgiveness, that he's allowed to go back and he offers this to God saying, thank you for forgiving me. What about Joshua? After the children of Israel defeat Jericho, you remember that Achan stole of the spoil of the victory. And when they go on to, to try to defeat Ai, Ai ends up defeating them. But then the second time around, after they root out the problem of Achan and what he'd done, the children of Israel end up defeating Ai. And Joshua, after that victory, he offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And then also David. King David, after he allowed, or at least the, the children of Israel allowed the Ark of the Covenant to be taken into to the enemy's hands. Eventually later on, the Ark of the Covenant is, it, it comes back to the children of Israel. And it's after that, that, that David offers the sacrifice of thanksgiving. He's thankful for this reunion now that, that is with the presence of God, being that the Ark is home. And so times of thanksgiving. But when, when do we offer anything like this, right? We know it's, it's important to be thankful, we know it's, it's important to not be unthankful, to not express ingratitude, but when do we ever have a chance to offer these types of sacrifice, we might wonder. After all, we live under the new covenant, and those sacrifices are no longer expected of us. Consider these things with me briefly as we close this morning. Let's address the problem of ingratitude with the practice of offering these types of sacrifices of thanks. Sacrifices of thanks praising, number one. Thanks praising. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 15, I would suggest that you and I should spend more time thinking about all that God has done for us. And that if we would but do that, that the problem of ingratitude would be rooted out. In Hebrews chapter 13, in verse number 15, the Hebrews writer says, Let us offer continually the sacrifice of praise, the sweet aroma that comes before him. And this idea that eventually, as he goes on to say, that it is saying thank you to God when we offer this fruit of our lips before him. That's what he calls it, the fruit of our lips. It's not a literal sacrifice as the Old Testament would have been conceived of in our minds when we think about those things, but rather this sacrifice that is the fruit of our lips, Hebrews 13, verse 15, saying thank you to God. How often do we undervalue what we're doing right here this very moment, this morning, worshiping our God as a means of saying thank you to him, as a means of showing appreciation. I think if we went out into our backyard this morning and we had to lasso a, 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 a cow of some sort and, and drag it in here and offer that as a sacrifice, maybe it might be more meaningful to us because we had to go to all that effort because sometimes maybe we come in here and we just go through the motions and we don't think about anything that we're doing. But if we would just put... put just a little bit more effort into what we have as an opportunity to offer the sacrifice of thanks praising to God, would it not be that God would notice and see our gratitude and it would help to root out the problem of ingratitude? But not only that, as you think about Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, I would suggest that you and I spend time thinking about what we can give to God. 
and sacrifices of thanks living. Yes, we'll talk about giving here in just a moment as a way to show thank you in terms of giving fi- financially, monetarily, but literally here as we think about Romans 12, verse number one, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable before God, which is your reasonable service. As you think about that, think about what, if it was something in the Old Testament for a Jew to bring a goat or a bull to be offered to God, how much more valuable is our life to be offered to God as a means of saying thank you? as a means of offering a sacrifice of thanks living, as we might call it. Sacrifices of thanks praising, sacrifices of thanks living, sacrifices of thanks loving. Turn your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, I want you to see that there is something particularly important about showing love to God and to others as a means by which we can express thank you to God. To love God and to love others is like a sacrifice as is borne out by this particular passage. Mark chapter 12, beginning at verse 28, then one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he answered them well, asked Jesus, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And this is the first commandment. And the second like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth. For there is one God and there is no other but he. But notice verse 33. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And Jesus saw that he answered wisely and said to him, you are not far off from the kingdom of God. Now I understand that this is a scribe saying these things, but Jesus acknowledges the wisdom of the statement. That is to say that when we love God, when we love others, we are demonstrating an expression of gratitude and thankfulness, that it's like a sacrifice. It's sacrificial of ourselves to love other people, isn't it? It takes work to love others, doesn't it? It's not always easy to love those that are hard to love. But when we love God and when we love others, we truly express an attitude of gratitude as it sometimes is called. And it's like a a sacrifice of thanks loving as we might call it spending more time thinking about what God and others mean to us. And then finally, sacrifices of thanksgiving, literally, thanksgiving. As you think about Philippians chapter four and verse number 18, the letter to the church at Philippi is somewhat of a thank you letter to the church there. As Paul writes these things, he's thankful to them for what they had provided to him. He says, I have all and abound. He just said previously uh, that, that he is able to be content in whatever state he's in, whether he's made low or whether he, he abounds. And then he goes on to say in verse 18, I have all and abound because of what Epaphroditus has brought to me through your hands. And he goes on to say that what they had given to him was a sweet smelling aroma to God a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Can you imagine that when you give to other people, when you give to the work of the church, 
when you give to those that are less fortunate than you, that God is looking down and it's as though there is some sort of sacrifice that is burning down below him and it's coming up to his nostrils and, and he's smelling it. It's a sweet smelling aroma. It's like saying thank you to God when we, when we give to others. A sacrifice of thanksgiving. Now, if there was ever a congregation that could be commended for showing God thank you for how much you have given, it would be this congregation. Just this last week, some over $100,000 was given just on one Sunday in order to go to the work of the church and benevolence and missions. You are to be commended for that. And do not forget that God recognizes that and appreciates that and acknowledges that. But may we ever be mindful of other ways to show gratitude to God, to have an attitude of gratitude, a mindfulness of thankfulness, that we would offer these sacrifices of thanks praising, sacrifices of thanks living and thanks loving, alongside our sacrifices of thanksgiving. Because if we do all of these things, and we do them without love, as 1 Corinthians 13 says, it profits me nothing. I am nothing if I do these things without love, if I give even $100,000 on one Sunday, if we're not doing it out of love, we're not doing it out of the right heart, and out of the right mind. This morning, maybe you're struggling with the problem of ingratitude, the sin of ingratitude. As we said, as we began, it's not just a good thing to do to be thankful. It is sinful when we're not. Maybe you're struggling with that problem. If there's anything that we can do to help you, if maybe you want to have that sin of ingratitude washed away in a watery grave of baptism and have the Lord God, Lord Savior, to, to wear him, to put him on in baptism, to walk in newness of life, to walk a life that is thankful because you can offer thanksgiving to God for your newfound joy of salvation. If there's anything that we can do, we ask that you come as together we stand and as we sing.